Psalm 19, 1 and 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. The heavens declare the glory of God. Just look up. Terry and I recently uh, went down to South Carolina for a few days of vacation, and from our balcony, we got to see this in the mornings. And then, as if that wasn't good enough, every evening from our balcony, we got to see this. You know, I know, some of you want to go with this? No. <laughs> I really, they're just there to let you see what we saw, not to brag or boast or anything about the fact that we... You know, the heavens declare the glory of God. Who could, who could look at that sunrise and sunset each day and not realize there is a God who created it all? And His creation is not waiting to display the glory of God. It already does. You see, as God created the universe, He poured His glory into every atom and complex system, from the vastness of the cosmos to the minutia of the ecosphere. The glory of God is revealed. Now, there are a couple different ways that we could go with this message this morning, and if you want to follow along, there, there's a note sheet in your worship folder this morning. We're going to be looking at God's beautiful design, the fact that God creates in this series called Firm Foundation, some of the, the, the important Bible doctrines. So this morning I've decided I'm not going to defend creation and creationism. Two weeks ago, Pastor Steve started this series of messages reaffirming our belief in the trustworthiness of the Bible. And so since the Bible affirms the creation of the universe, that's where we're going to start. We're going to approach this topic based on our belief that God created. In Genesis 1, where we will begin this morning, we won't take long, but one of the final verses is in Revelation. No, I'm kidding. Genesis 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then three very important words in verse 3. And God said. And God said. I think there are lots of ramifications of the fact that God created and that God said, that a word from the Creator began it all. So I want to go through what I believe are eight ramifications of the fact that God said, that God created. The first is this, there is no conflict between Christianity and science itself. Pastor Jay shared that with us last week. There is no conflict at all. The conflict, the problem, is with scientific naturalism which supposes that truth is found only in observable experiments. And what scientific naturalism does is declares itself the way by basically declaring all religion superstition and God is fantasy. Well, if you throw out your opponent completely at the beginning, I guess you win. Because, see, science and Christianity have no, no problem with each other. But scientific naturalism is the issue. You can't just declare the other side, well, that's invalid. 
Unless, of course, you think if you don't, you won't win. Number two, it's important to understand that the Bible, including the book of Genesis, is not a scientific textbook. Its purpose is theological. Its purpose is to reveal God and His relationship with humanity. It is not a textbook on creation. Consider this, that only two small chapters in the entire Bible extensively talk about creation. The bishop who helped fund Galileo's experiments said this, The Holy Spirit intended to teach us how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. Number three, if anyone calls themselves a Bible-believing Christian, they must reject atheistic evolutionist claims that there is no God and that creation is not a wonderful gift from a loving creator, but rather an epic, purposeless accident. You see, we must reject that. If we say that we believe the Bible, we must reject the, fact, the idea that the creation or the whatever, the accident, was purposelessness. That there was no point to it. Number four, the word created here in the Hebrew, and God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word here is bara, which means creation from nothing. This is a word used only of God. The other word used in a creative sense in Genesis is Asa, translated to make or, or made, which means to fashion or shape, to make something suitable. It's different in that it is making something from something that already exists. So when we see the word and God created, it is bara, it is and God created from nothing, the heavens and the earth. When man creates, it is Asa. It is from that which God has already created that we create. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is an important doctrine to understand because it negates the possibility of naturalistic evolution. You see, God created on purpose. God created on purpose. Now, we talked extensively last week about God's existence, and there are so many things that we could learn through what we call general, the general revelation of, of creation itself. But let me just say these two things, number five and six. Number five, God is living. He is not an it. He is not an it. He is a living, alive God, and because He is alive, He makes life. Genesis 2-7, we discover this statement. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. This is important that God is a, a living God. He is not an it because he created life. And then number six, that he is personal and intimate. He is a personal and intimate God. He made life in an intimate and personal way. Look at the verse we just read, Genesis 2-7. And God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That is an intimate life connection. 
is it not? Have you ever done CPR? Now, not the, not the new way with the tube and the mask and all that. The good old-fashioned, put your mouth right on their way. That is an intimate connection, is it not? That's how God created. In a personal, intimate way. And he says he created us in his, his image. That is personal. Think about the intimate creation of Eve in Genesis 2, 21 through 25. What happened? Well, God puts Adam to sleep and does a little surgical procedure there. And takes a rib and forms woman. Now, surgery is a pretty intimate thing, isn't it? Now, I didn't get this until about a year and a half ago. I had this, these kidney stones, and so I had to go into surgery three times. Thank you, doctors. They charged me for every one of them, but I'm not bitter. <laughs> they took me in, and, and let me just say that it is an intimate experience. Just the gown is intimate. Is, uh, <laughs> they, they wheel you around, and Lord knows what they see while you're asleep. I don't know. All you know is that right before you went to sleep, there are 25 people who don't know you in the room with you. And after a while, you're just like, I don't care anymore. Don't even worry about the gown, frankly. Just don't even worry. And that's how God created, right? He created in that intimate way of, of that surgical procedure of that breathing into the nostrils of Adam. Life. In chapter 2, verse 25, it says that this, this couple, our, our first parents, were naked and unashamed. There's a level of intimacy there in God's creation that we, we understand that he's a personal and intimate God. Number seven, there are two categories with, in which everything in the universe fit. Two, creator and what? Creation. That's all we got. Creator and creation. There is an infinite distance between those two. God alone was in the beginning. He is self-existent and depends on nothing for his continued existence. Everything else in the universe was created by God and for God. It's that simple. He is the creator. You and I are the created. We are the creation. Now this is going to become very important here in a few minutes as we, we dig into this idea. He is the creator. In the beginning, God created. Not in the beginning, God and a board of people. In the beginning, God created, and then he later asked us what we thought. He's the creator. You and I are the creation. And number eight, God crafted a universe that reveals his existence and his true nature so that we would know him and worship him. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that the people are without excuse. You see, creation, the creation of the universe was it crafted in such a way that it reveals God's existence and it sets him up as the one to be worshipped. For only the creator is to be worshipped. Only the creator is worthy of our worship. 
So those are some ramifications of the fact that God said. But there's uh, some ramifications of evolution also. <laughs> Particularly naturalistic evolution. Now there are many, but I narrowed it to three. First of all, there's an implication that nothing made everything. Now we're not talking about a God who from nothing created everything. We're just talking about nothing somehow bumping into each other. I don't know how nothing bumps into itself, but anyway. <laughs> nothing made everything. That's a ramification. You know, I don't even understand that idea enough to even talk any further about it. Second, chaos made order. It's a ramification of this, that chaos made order. Well, this, this violates the second law of thermodynamics that says things degrade. They don't get better, okay? Even if you had perfection to begin with, it's going to go down. It's going to go that direction, but a ramification of evolution is that chaos made order, not a creative God who purposely put things together. And then third, another ramification is that impersonal matter made personal humanity. That somehow just that matter that came from nothing did something and it was just this stuff and it got to you. Now for some of us, I, I, it feels that way, I understand, but... The idea that impersonal matter somehow ended up at personal humanity, there's only one idea that even makes sense, and that's that a personal God, a personal and intimate God made personal humanity because he created us in his likeness. None of these jive with the facts of a living personal God who created us in his image for his glory. None of it does. Now listen carefully. You know, sometimes as a speaker, you're studying and you, you find something that you just cannot believe you found. And that is even printed out there. But in research, we found this. Stephen Hawking, you know who Stephen Hawking is, right? He said this. The odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. I think there are clearly religious implications. It would be very difficult to explain why the universe would have begun just this way except as the act of a God who intended to create beings like us. You don't see that in many textbooks. A personal God took nothing and in His image personally and intimately created because he is a living God who created living beings. But something happened. What happened? Sin happened. Now we're going to talk about this extensively next week as we look at the fall and sin. But something happened and in John 10.10 10, Jesus said the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Yeah. 
You see, sin impacted everything and changed everything. But I believe that the gospel returns us to God's original intent. And so I want us to, for the rest of our time, look at five things that I believe the gospel does to return us to God's original intent. First of all, it reminds us that His glory is to be above all else. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know, all created things display the glory of God, don't they? We're told that the rocks cry out and that the, the stars tell forth His glory. They display the glory of God, but they cannot know the glory of God. This task of worship was assigned only to the human race. Created in the image of God to search out both the obvious and the hidden displays of God's glory in every aspect of creation. And the gospel says, this is all about His glory. Above all else, it's about His glory. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things are created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. It's all about Him. The earth was created by Christ and for Christ. You say, Pastor Brian, why did you switch to Christ? Well, Pastor Jay's message last week tells us that the Trinity was involved in creation. So we can just kind of use them interchangeably. The universe was created by Christ and for Christ. And the universe He created depends upon Christ. Do you realize that? Moment by moment for its ongoing existence. You see, the, br the breath that you are taking in and out is because God chose to allow that to happen. And at the moment that He chooses to take you home, that breath stops. All because He is a Creator who holds all things together. See, the earth spun overnight, did it not? So that the sun comes up and it reminds us to get up in the morning. Now, when you start getting my age and older, you get up before the sun comes up for other reasons, but well, that's another thing entirely. But that's all we are dependent. See, we are a needy universe that would cease to exist if Christ didn't exert His powerful will to keep it in existence. Each of us is in need of His sustaining work in our lives. And each of us was intended to live in a way that gives God glory for all things as we live in full dependence upon Him. You see, our dependency points us to His glory because we are in desperate need of it. Revelation 4.11 You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Everything in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, was created by Christ and for Him. I am here for His glory. You are here for His glory. You see, it is not my intent for my life. It is His intent for my life. It is not what I want it is what he knows is best for me. 
It is not all about me or you. It is all about him. He knows his intent, and it is best. Psalm 18, 13 says this, This God, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. This God, his way is perfect. The intent of creation was to point us to the glory of God above all else. And the intent of the gospel is to recapture and return us to his original, his original intent, which is his glory. Now, I want you to kind of get this, so we're going to use a, a little picture here. This is, it's just a shovel, it's not that funny. Th let's, let's say this is God and the way he works, okay? This is the way God works. We'll just picture it as, as this shovel. This is his intent. This is, this is for his glory, this is what he's working. Now, there is, there is, another, there is another item that's really similar to this. And, and it, it comes, you know, I, it's, per, it's useful. It's, it's really similar. You see, this is what God wants to do. This is his intent. This is what we settle for. When we want it our way. When we, we get mixed up and don't realize that the creator is in charge and that it's about his glory rather than ours. C.S. Lewis, paraphrased, once said that God's given us an ocean of his grace and we choose to play in a mud puddle beside the road. What do they have in common? They're both water. What do these have in common? Well, they both pick up stuff. If I was to say, hey, I need you to go out and there's some weeds in the back of the property and I'd like you to go out and take care of those if you would. <laughs> I, I'd get one of two responses, either no thank you, you're a crazy person, or sure, it'll be a while. You'd rather me give you this, right? Because this was the intent. But what does the gospel do? It says, guess what? This is what you've been using. This is what life without Christ is. Here. Let's use this. Let's get back to God's glory instead of our own. Number two, the intent of the gospel is to return us to God's original intent of living under his authority. Genesis 2.9, And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. There was this amazing amount of trees and plants and water and food in the garden. All that would be needed for abundant life. God had given all this to Adam and Eve. But there were two trees at the center of this perfect place. First, there was the tree of life, which I believe stood as a reminder of all that God had offered and planned for this new earth and its inhabitants. 
It was eternal life. It was, the, it was this, this promise of, you put me first. You give me glory. You live in obedience. You're going to have life. But then there was this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if you're like me, one of your questions has been, why was that tree even there? All the people who just chuckled are the people who think like I do. Why didn't God just put this behind glass so it could be seen, but would never be an issue? Here's my thought, here's my belief, that this tree was a representation of God's authority over all things. The orders were clear. This is my authority. Here's all this that I've given you, but let me remind you who is in charge. You can have all this. But don't eat this. This is my authority. Well, what was, what was the rebellion of sin about? This rebelli- it was a rebellion over authority. What was the lie that he believed? Well, well, God didn't. Did, is that really what God said? Maybe you could get a little bit of this information and know a little better. Come on, Eve, you got a spoon? Go for it. You see, rebellion against God's authority is universal, isn't it? We do it every day. This is what God wants, but we lean against it. We, we lead into rebellion. We want what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. Yet God really does have a better way. In the lobby this morning are, are several paintings and drawings and of, of people in our church who, who have just that creative bent. But I, I don't think anybody here today will go out there and go, you know, I, I think I'll go get a paintbrush and, and I'll put a little something of mine on there. I, I'll, I'll make that a little better. Why wouldn't we do that? Well, because we, we believe in our, our you know, the, the authority of the artist over their own creation, right? We believe that an artist has creative rights. In our house is a, is a painting that my uncle painted for us years ago. And it's of a, a boy pulling a sled through the snow. And there's never once in the almost 30 years that's been in our house that I've thought, you know what, I ought to take that out of its frame and take it out from behind the glass and add a little something in. You know, that's an old-fashioned sled. Maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll just paint over that and, and, and paint in one of those round, circular things. Because that kid probably wants to go faster or... You know, he's all alone with his sled. He, need, he needs a buddy to go with him, so I'll paint that in. I'll put a little house in the background so he realizes he's not really that far away from home. Or maybe I'll just, and some of you will get this, maybe I'll just put a happy little tree in the background. <laughs> Why don't we do that? Well, because that's not mine to mess with. Does that make sense? We, we wouldn't do that. Well, let me just submit to you that God holds creative rights over his creation and that he knows what his intent was and we have to live under the authority of the artist. Number three, the gospel returns us to God's original intent by taking us back to the command and the privilege to work and keep. We discover in the story of creation that man is a spiritual creature made to know and glorify God and he was placed in the heart of the garden that God made. And 
what he is and what God declares him to be is the Lord and servant of God's created glory. And in Genesis 2.15, we, we see here what I believe is our, our ongoing calling as believers, especially as men. 2.15, and the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, to work, to, to work is to labor to make something grow. This happens as we spend our lives, I believe, nurturing and cultivating and tending and building up and guiding and ruling. And then we're to keep, to keep, to, to protect, to sustain all what's progress that's already been achieved as, as we guard and keep others safe and watch over them and care for them and help maintain their progress. We're told to, to work and to keep. For me, I relate to John as he writes in 3 John, I have no greater joy that to hear than to hear that my children are walking in truth. See, what's that verse about? That's about working and keeping. Now, you knew I'd get mentoring in here somewhere. And this is what I believe it is, because I believe an intent of creation was for Adam to, to work and to keep. And I believe, had there not been sin, have you ever wondered about that question? What if Adam hadn't ascended? Well, I believe it would have been this, this perfect place forever and that Adam's working and keeping would have extended to his family and to these generations that would come after him. You know, wow, just the working and keeping of, of ministering into people's lives, of, of taking care of them and, and building them up and helping them to grow and guiding and tending to them and cultivating what God is doing and keeping them safe and watching over them. My children walking in faith. This is what we're to be about. This is, this is what part of the gospel is, is that, that we walk with each other in this journey. Friday night, I had the privilege of conducting the wedding of one of the men I mentor. and I know that he's just striving to know God and live for the sake of the gospel in his new marriage. See, I can go in that with confidence. Wow. To hear the toast of his best man as he acknowledged the power of the gospel in this couple's lives to live for and to please God. Wow. To, to talk to my oldest son this week on the phone and have him share his excitement about reaching young adults for Christ in New York City through a new event that he's created. Wow. You see, this is our command from God to work and to keep to care for and watch over his creation for his glory. Now, yes, this includes our maintenance of the earth and the environment. I get it. But I believe that even more at its core is to care for and raise up the centerpiece of his creation, men and women, guiding them into a deeper love relationship with the creator. You see, the gospel returns us to his original intent. To watch, to watch over and to keep and to work for the sake of his creation into each other's lives. That is part of the restoration of his original intent through the gospel. His glory above all else, living under his authority, the privilege and the command to work and to keep. And number four, the freedom of creative dominion. You see, God said it was very good and then he rested. These verses say this, then God said, 
Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food and so it was so. And God saw everything that he'd made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's quickly look at what we discover here. There, that this creative God, this creative God made you and me. You see, we are indeed the centerpiece of his creation. We are indeed... cornerstone of his intent he creatively determined that this is how we would look now for some of us he was more creative than others this is the parts we'd have this is how we would operate and within each of us i believe at some level is that same creative spark to be creative to innovate to think and with that spark we are to have dominion more clearly put that we are to use the are right as stewards over all of God's creation, and God believes that that's a very good thing. Humans are unique because, because God created us in His image. We are like Him in our nature, meaning our capabilities. That, think about it. We can think. We can plan and love and choose and desire and communicate. And we've been made like Him in His attributes. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can, we can be righteous and holy show mercy compassion we can use wisdom and on and on and we are like him in our position in the world because he has made us as humans to be rulers over the earth but it's important to ask if we are a people who use our created creativity and our orders to steward this very good creation of God are we using it in ways that are pleasing to him that are pointing to Him, that prioritize Him? Or as Pastor Jay said last week, are we 100% in or just 83%? Are we ready to give it all or just a part? Are we, are we ready to have full freedom of creative dominion or are we just going to settle for a little bit? Are we going to use a shovel or a teaspoon? Let me remind you of this. It is all His. Whether we want to believe it or not, we are simply a blessed steward of God's stuff. So what are you doing with God's resources, God's talents, God's giftings to you? What are you, what are you doing with your family and your relationships and your church and your money and your home and your time? Are you letting the gospel change you and, and build up in you this freedom of creative dominion? 
That's what the gospel was about, was returning us to his original intent. Number five, the gospel returns us to God's original intent and allows us to walk with God with no shame. Genesis 3, 8 through 11 says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Ultimately, I believe that it comes down to this, that God's intent for us was that we walk with him, to have a relationship with him in complete intimacy and honesty. Now, we must assume that this was a regular occurrence, that that God often walked in the garden, and that that couple walked with him. Can you imagine that? Imagine getting up every morning. What are we going to do today? Hey, we get to walk with God. We, we, this God who, this creator who we can just talk to honestly and openly and intimately. And guys, here's a cool part. Eve never said, well, we could do that, but I don't know what I'm going to wear. Adam said, you're fine the way you are. Looking good, Eve. Can you imagine that? Each morning, each afternoon probably, come on, Eve, let's do it again. We can walk with God in the evening even. Let's go see the sunset tonight. No shame. Complete intimacy. But this time, though, they hid. They hid because of shame. The first sign of sin is shame. (laughs) That deep, resonating fear and a realization that a relationship has been negatively impacted. Sin leads to shame and The next step is hiding, isn't it? We hide our sin and sometimes even ourselves from others. And even we believe we hide from God. But consider God's original intent for you. Think about what the incarnation and the perfect life of Jesus, think about what his death and his burial and his resurrection was all about. What was the point? That in Christ you don't have to live with the shame of your past. Or even run and hide over the sin of the present. You can live in relationship with the Creator. You can walk with Him. Free and cleansed and healed. There is no one force in the universe that has the power to transform the idolatrous hearts of humans into those who will know the glory of God and His first intent. There is no greater force than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is this gospel's transforming power, a power that restores us to his first, best, and original intent. 
The creation can know the creator. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. And at that moment, our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, was created. Scientists tell us it would take 2,500 years to count the stars just in the Milky Way galaxy. How big is God? How great a creator he is. Isaiah 40 says, to whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look into the heavens. Who created all those? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each one of them by name. Because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. See, here's our galaxy from a distance. Now, this galaxy in the midst of our solar system, we couldn't, we couldn't even put on here because the relative size, it's so crazy different. Scientists tell us that our solar system, comparatively, the Milky Way, is the size of a quarter laid on the North American continent. The size of a quarter laid on the North American continent. We couldn't even get the entire North American continent in the picture. That's how small our Milky Way galaxy is. See, one of the stars in the midst of this solar system is our sun. Not the biggest, not the brightest. It's, it's not even, strangely enough, at the center of it all. We're kind of off to the side and a little to the left. And around that are what we call planets and we're just one of those planets called Earth. It's said that it would take 100,000 light years to cross from one side of our solar system to the other, of this galaxy. The speed of light is 5.88 trillion miles in a year. So multiply that by 100,000. That's how much it takes to just get across the Milky Way. Now, we realize it's just this much in a bigger plan. The word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel small this morning. I want, to see, want you to see that you are small. But one author has said that this means that we have significant insignificance. Because as tiny as we are, we are known by majesty. Majesty who knows us and loves us and calls us to himself even though we are tiny specks on a little bitty speck in the vast cosmos that he created. And this God, who can call every one of the billions of stars in the galaxy by name, who called them into being and put them in their places, knows every single one of us. See, he knows each one of us. The creator of the universe could call each of us by name. He is aware of us, and he knows us, and he loves us, and has come to invite us into a relationship with him that will never end. Thus, reclaiming his first and best and original intent. 
The gospel takes us right back to creation. Because this creator God wants nothing more for you to give him glory and walk with him in a daily life of obedience and honesty and intimacy. Let's bow our heads. Our altar is going to be open here in just a moment and our prayer partners are going to be ready. Maybe today you have no idea of what it means to have a relationship with your Creator. Today you can come and know Him. You can come to a prayer partner and say, I, I don't even know this Creator. You see, this Creator became your Savior through His death on the cross and His resurrection. You can come and know Him today. Maybe today you know that you're not living for His glory. I'd ask that you just lay down your spoon and let God shovel His plan for your life. Maybe, maybe today you're not fully living under God's authority. Then I would say come to a prayer partner or come and kneel here at these altars and give the Creator, the artist of the universe, full creative control over you. Maybe today you failed to work and keep. You, you're just not investing in people for the sake of the gospel and for the kingdom. Let Him use you today. Commit to being used. Maybe you've held back a percentage of His good gifts to you. Then come and lay them down today and then Stand up and be free. Maybe today you're living in shame. Shame of the past and regret and guilt over your current struggles. Maybe, maybe today you have a heart that is heavy with hurts. Allow God, your Creator and your Father, to heal and to restore you fully into a walk with Him. God, come and work as we worship you. God, we get a chance in these moments to deal with the God of the universe who knows us, and we are grateful. Help us to worship you fully and to come to you honestly in these moments. Let's stand together.